This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. Gate for June 3rd, 2021. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling feed or on our own dedicated podcast feed on all podcast platforms or applications. You can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. If you would like to donate to the show, just click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our redcircle.com landing site. Then you would click the red box that says sponsor this podcast and you can set up a one-time or reoccurring donation. No obligation whatsoever, but a special thank you to all of our previous donors. I'm one of your hosts, it's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears, joined alongside my friend and co-host, Case Lowe, as well. And Case, we are through King of Gate. We already have basically the two main events for the July 31st and August 1st uh, doubleheader at Kobe World Cannon Hall. And I like my big takeaway from like this whole entire tournament is I don't think that they've had this successful of a tournament in a long time. And we walk out of this with KZ as our 2021 King of Gate. I think the the one counter to that you could make is that King of Gate 2019, just two years ago with Ben K running the table, going undefeated in really this satisfying fashion on his way to defeating Pac at World 2019 was uh, probably equal in execution to this tournament. Now, it's obviously been a minute since I've revisited the nitty-gritty of King of Gate 2019. I don't know off the top of my head where I would rank the match quality of that tournament compared to this one. I know there was a Shun Skywalker versus Masaki Mochizuki match on the opening night of that tournament. That finished in my top 10 for 2019. Ben K versus Yamato, Ada versus Yoshino, and KZ versus Doi, the other four block matches in that May 2019 Cork and Hall show. And then the tournament concluded in June, uh, two years ago, almost to the day, with what I remember being an excellent Ben K versus KZ match where Ben K won. That set him up to beat Ata in the finals of the tournament. And like I said, he went on to defeat Pac at Kobe World and become the Open the Dreamgate champion. So I think that tournament was a huge success. But yeah, this is certainly rarefied air in terms of just a, an overall satisfying conclusion of a tournament. We started one place, we finished in another, and I liked every step along the way, even if at times with the the sickness of Ben K and Doi, Naruki Doi pulling himself out of the tournament as a precautionary measure, even if at times it was very chaotic from point A to point B, I am very satisfied with King of Gate 2021. Yeah, and it's something I just, what as you were speaking there, I was flipping through my notebook for this year's uh, tournament. I don't remember the last time I've had, I've had as many four-star or better matches 
within a King of Gate tournament. Like this really did in a lot of ways felt like a harken back to 2016 and 2017, which were two just great entering tournaments. But I, I guess like the the thing that I that puts this over 2019 in my mind is. That tournament in 2019 was all about Benkei, and you had a little bit of Shun Skywalker kind of breaking out here. This one, I mean, there were a whole lot of storylines all throughout. KZ coming back, uh, winning the Second Chance Battle Royal, and then winning two matches in one night to win the tournament. Kodaman and Noor being the breakout star of the tournament, tapping out everyone with Engranahe until he got to the knockout stage. Yamato's kind of return to form. And then, of course, the, the man with the biggest brain of all pro wrestling, Hyo. I just don't remember a tournament that accomplished that much with that many people in wrestling in recent memory. Yeah, that's the, the, the tremendous part of this tournament is that even if you want to point to a, a 2014 or a 2016, which I thought were incredibly high ranking in ring years for those tournaments, those King of Gate tournaments. I don't know if they accomplished the booking that this tournament did, because you obviously come out of this with KZ, spoiler alert, KZ winning King of Gate 2021. You come out of this with Kota Minora really elevating his stature in the promotion, and I find the future of Masquerade and kind of what could be an ongoing battle between Minora and current Open the Dream Gate champion Shun Skywalker, this jockeying for position that isn't there yet, but certainly could be as time goes on to be very intriguing. I've talked over the past few weeks about how this is the best work that Hyo has done throughout his career. He finally seems to have a place on the roster. And then, you know, coming out of this, even guys that maybe didn't fare as well, there's obviously Yamato who made it to the semifinals. I think Yamato has a new lease on life with the way that he wrestled in this tournament. A guy like Kaisuke Akuda, current Open the Brave Gate champion who did not do well in this tournament. And then you've got your Kingpins, your Dragon Kids, your Sumiyakoskas, guys like that who perform very well. Perhaps there aren't going to be any long-term ramifications coming from their performance in King of Gate this year, but they at least reminded us how great they can be when given the opportunity. Yeah, yeah. And it's something that given what all happened and all the flexibility that they had to endure to make this tournament a success it's kind of purple perfectly is encapsulated in this uh june 3rd cork and hall show in a lot of ways which you know it's their first cork and hall show in two months they weren't able to have the opening day of king of gate last year because state of emergency had everyone back nearly a full building 675 and just i guess transitioning from like the overview of the tournament then to just this show i felt like this was one of the best and most watchable cork and hall shows in a good long time and i was i came away with this show just incredibly happy and excited to see where the uh how the next two months are going to go because now we they really like waved the flag and said hey now we are going full court press to having the two big shows on july 31st and august 1st that was my t- big takeaway case what was your the great thing about this Cork and Hall show is that it sort of reversed the curse of the issue with most of their Cork and outings this year. The show closed with a bang, and I felt great about the end result. Was there a weird stretch of this show kind of in the in the middle stages where things weren't necessarily clicking to the degree that I would have hoped for? Of course there was. But what mattered on this show, the King of Gate semifinals and finals, and to an extent, the Masaudi Yoshino Speed Star final countdown match, which I thought was the best Yoshino match we've seen this year, that stuff delivered, and that left me feeling very good about what is to come in these summer months for Dragon Gate. 
Yeah, it, it's something where there, in a lot of ways, like we were kind of like tapping our toe going like, oh, this unit shift stuff, like it's going to take forever to get it all kind of sussed out. But now uh, High End has Kakatora now. Uh, Shimizu is now King Shimizu and is the sixth member of Natural Vibes. And really it's kind of taking a bunch of people like off the sidelines or kind of in the holding pen now. And really then you, you, you kind of take a step back and now I feel like it's not going to be as much more stalling and kind of like prolonging this a unit shuffle for Naruki Doi to finish uh, honoring Masato Yoshino. We're starting to see some interesting landing places coming out of today. Well, yeah, you look at the current roster and look at the guys that remain unaffiliated, and I will remove Ultimo Dragon from this, and I will remove Masato Yoshino from this. You obviously have Doi, who said he's not going to find a unit until after the end of July, after Yoshino retires. Shuji Kondo is injured. Strong Machine J is injured. Do we know whether or not Yosuke Santa Maria is injured? I haven't heard anything. It just kind of feels like that Maria is being downcycled right now. Yeah, which, which which could very easily be the case. I couldn't remember off the top of my head if she was injured or not. So you have Doi, Kondo, Strong Machine J. You have Maria, Saito, Kanda, Mochizuki, Fuji, Yoshida, and then some of your lower card guys, Tamanaga, Gamma, uh, Sora Fujikawa, who could return at any moment, Kenichiro Arai, Kaness. So really, what you see there is the group of Doi, Mochi, Fuji, Yoshida, and then throw in a Maria, throw in a punch, throw in a Kanda, somebody like that, and all of a sudden you have your fifth unit. But with Shimizu joining Natural Vibes, which we'll talk about, and with Kagatora officially linking up with High End, all of a sudden it, it becomes a pretty simple landscape. And those two specifically coming off the table, I don't want to say they breathe new life in Drangate. I, I don't think it's that big of a move. But when you look at that unaffiliated pile on the roster, all of a sudden it becomes much more manageable. And you see guys that, you know, for the most part, constantly have something to do on the cards with Shimizu and to a lesser extent Kagatora. The fact that they now have something to do is huge. So I, I came away from the show very happy with what I saw. I think this was a very satisfying show. And given the fact that there were tournament matches on this show, I do think we need to start from the opening match and work our way through to the main event on this Cork and Hall review. Sure thing. So opening match on the show was the King of Gate 2021 semifinals, the winner of the C block Yamato versus the winner of the A block Kota Minora. Kota Minora advanced to the finals with the gong in 11 minutes and 13 seconds. And the first time anyone has gone out of the Ingranaje happened in this match. I thought this was a fantastic tournament opener. This is their second singles match together all time. Their only other one, which I linked in my King of Gate uh, semifinals and finals preview happened on a next show. It is, it was Minora's second professional match after his Cork and Hall debut. And that, you know, that was Yamato beating up a young boy for about eight minutes. Very, very entertaining affair. This one you see less than three years later. And I thought Minora just handled himself like a professional. The interesting thing with Minora is that he he's someone that doesn't, I, like, I, I don't, I don't know what to do with him. I, I, I really landed on this, ideology that he is the Rio Saito of this current generation because he is the bridge between the class of 2016 with Skywalker, Benkei, and Hyo, and the class of 2020 with SBK and Kamei and Sora Fujikawa and Hip Hop Kakuda. For whatever reason, because he debuted in the summer of 2018, kind of in this lull between these two classes that are already very well regarded, 
I don't want to say that he doesn't jump off the page, but there's something about Kota Minora that he almost lost his luster to an unfair degree. But the thing we've seen with Minora time after time again, whether it's challenging Masaki Mochizuki to a singles match just a few months into his career and slapping Mochizuki in the face to start that match, whether it's him joining Mochizuki Dojo, getting big matches in that unit, or taking the reins uh, of the Dragon Gate generation really towards the latter half of 2020 once we saw fans resume to the buildings in July. Kota Minora is someone that I think it's fair to say plays to the level of his competition. And when he's on the undercard, that's fine because he's able to, to put on a perfectly serviceable match number two on a big Dragon Gate show. The thing is, when his name is called and he's in a featured singles match or he's in a big-time opportunity on a Cork and Hall show or on a big show, Minora has now proven time after time that he can deliver. And I find it to be very compelling that a 22-year-old stood in the ring with Yamato and looked on his level. Obviously, special circumstances, this being the opening match, it would be... uh, I think unfair to say this is one of the best Dragon Gate openers in recent memory, but I do think the fact that this card started off with such energy with what I thought was a borderline great match. I went three and three quarters with it. You can read my written review with full star ratings over at voices of wrestling.com. I, I, I was just a huge fan of this. Yeah, I was maybe just a smidge lower. I went three and a half. Uh, the Minora like stepping up and this was like a big thing that Jay and Hoho talked about on commentary was that he was someone that, previously would show a tremendous amount of nerves before matches. And this time he came out with an air and a presence that kind of, you know, you wouldn't think that he's 22 years old, like doing that. And it would, the the only thing that like really kind of took me down. And I think this was a little bit of the story throughout the card in certain places was I, I was, I figured the crowd would be a little bit more into this, but I thoroughly enjoyed like Yamato at a certain point, just trying to vet card him and just like, throwing strikes and doing this and then Menora dishing it back and you know it's something where the when i was talking about this tournament being a success across the board with like people like this now now we we had Kota Menora was in the ring for 30 minutes tonight or yesterday or today according to whenever you listen to this and it's something that this company loves doing this with when they want to really propel younger guys to the next level. We've talked before about Big R Shimizu and Takahiro Yamamura and their February of 2017 huge uh, cork and show. And it kind of felt that way for Kota Minora, this this show. And it was something that, you know, going toe-to-toe with the company ace and really kind of playing into what has made Yamato such a strong uh, wrestler throughout this tournament, I felt like it was just an unmitigated success. That is a, a tremendous comp there, a tremendous callback to Big R Shimizu versus Takahiro Yamamura. That was the February 2017 Cork and Hall show. And for those that don't know, they had a singles match on the undercard, a pretty inconspicuous singles match that ended up going to a 20-minute time limit draw. And then later on in the show, and I don't remember the exact circumstances of why there were openings in this match. I think part of it was due to the recent Masato Yoshino injury, but there mm-hmm. ended up being a, a Berserk versus to be determined match. Cyber Kong, Elendeman, Shingo, and T-Hawk. And originally, Shima and Mochizuki came out to answer the call. They were going to team with Ben K and with Naruki Doi, but they got on the mic and they said Shimizu and Yamamura proved themselves earlier in the night. They were going to wrestle in this eight-man. So they had two, you know, to an extent, I would say career-making performances. That was the the moment where, 
you know, Shimizu had been to the finals and King of Gate the year before, but this really put him in a new light where he was all of a sudden this credible main eventer. Yamamura was going to get there eventually and I think often about how I wish he had stayed healthy, whether it would have been in Dragon Gate or elsewhere in Japan, because he was it's just such a natural talent and such a special young wrestler whose career, unfortunately, ended far too soon. But this for Yamamura, you know, again, he was going to make it one way or another had he stayed healthy. This was the jetpack, though, and really the menorah to Yamamura comparison here is very, very accurate, because I don't think you can come away from this show Looking at Coach Minora, even people like us who were really high on this guy, who knew that he was in the midst of a monster push, I, this has reframed the way I think of Minora. And I think it was the same thing for Yamamura in 2017. We knew he was going to be a star. We knew he was going to be a big deal. But after that February 2017 Cork and Hall show, or after this June 2021 Cork and Hall show, it is undeniable that their place in the company has changed. Yeah, yeah, and it's something that will be very interesting to see where Minora is kind of positioned, you know, going forward. Shun, of course, has his uh, main event decided for Kobe World, and the rest of Masquerade are Triangle Gate champions. So it makes you, it, it kind of leaves him almost on the outside in a way, but for someone like Minora, with like the breakout performance that he had on this tournament, it's actually a good opportunity because then he could be the person plugged into those special singles matches on both nights of Kobe World, and you could really kind of, kind of further cultivate his uh, his explosion in a way. And I think that would be very fascinating to see if that's going to be the route going forward. Uh, any other takes you had on the the first semifinal before we go through the second one? Just to to put one more point for Minora, he broke out from the pack in this tournament with his two biggest singles matches being canceled, his main event against Naruki Doi in Fukuoka and his televised match against Benkei and Hokkaido. Obviously neither of those happened. And by the end of the tournament, we're still talking about how great Minora was and how much he delivered in the spot. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then we have the second, the second semifinal. This was in the, uh, this is SB Kento, the winner of the B block versus KZ, the winner of the second chance battle royal. KZ would win with a inside cradle cutback on the SB shooter in four minutes and three seconds. Mike, did you see Thor? Thor, Thor, Thor did you see their block match from May 30th that is now available on the Drangate Network? I ran out of time this morning to that, watch hey, it. Hey, that's okay, Mike. You're in a safe space here. Let me tell you, I thought this match was far more entertaining than what they did on the May 30th show. Not necessarily that that match was bad, but what they did here was far more compact and I thought entertaining because there was a moment in this match pretty early on. It's a short match and about halfway through it, SB Kento locks in the SB shooter and I'm sitting here at home thinking like, oh my God, he's going to run over KZ on his way to the finals. He's going to beat him twice. He's going to make him tap out here. And if that's the case, he's going to beat Minora in the final. So I had about a 45-second period where he was locked into that submission where I really thought that we were going to be calling SB Kento our 2021 King of Gate winner. KZ then reached the ropes, took some more offense, took that. The the SB Kento spinebuster is such a bizarre addition to his arsenal that he, you know, Triple H didn't do a lot of things well in his career, but he did throw a mean spine buster. And SB Kento is throwing the Triple H style spine buster, and it looks awesome. After that, he went for the SB shooter again. Then, as you said, KZ countered it, rolled him up, and got the win. Very effective for what this was. I like the way this was executed. 
Yeah, no, the, this was something that started off with like a literal flying start as KZ jumped through the ropes on a, on a Tope Suicida. And, and that basically, they kept up that pace. And it was actually kind of smart in a four-minute match to be like, all right, we're going to really put the doubt in about KZ before KZ gets the win and doing the SB shooter like that. I thought like that that was a very smartly done thing and very interesting situation for SB Kento coming out of King of Gate. Of course, he lost at Dead or Alive. He was the apuestas loser so he had to get his head shaved and it was something where very easily could have been kind of backburnered in a way and then they do the the the, the re-elevation after kobe world or looking into the hot season and maybe even 2021 but you know something said something to be said they're like all right this is going to be used as a step back and it does seem in a lot of ways that there is like alluding to him and ata in a way like did you pick up on that at all not necessarily on this show, but that is something that I think is certainly coming down the pipeline that we're going to see Ata try to align himself with these young guys in R.E.D. And I think the young guys in R.E.D. are going to say, no, thank you, old man, because we're now at a point, given the, the recent influx of young talent where Ata can be looked at as old with some of the members on the roster. I think SP Kento's in a really interesting position right now. When we did our King of Gate preview a month ago, I said there's no way he's making it to the semifinals or the finals. I don't think he's featured enough on on televised shows to get to that point because he had, you know, during the initial schedule before the show cancellations, he had the Dragon Kid match in Corken Hall in May, and then he would have had the Susumu Yokosuka match in Hokkaido. Obviously, the Dragon Kid match was moved to the the no no fans arena, and then the Susumu match happened as it was scheduled to, but. I thought given, you know, some guys having three matches on tape, I think maybe even some guys had four matches on tape. Well, you know, they're going to beat SB Kento and they're going to beat him on on non-televised shows. And instead of what they did is they powered ahead. They put him in the semifinals. And I do feel like there's a part of him that is really greatly aided from losing these past few big matches, losing to Dragon Kid and King of Gate, getting his head shaved by Dragon Kid at Dead or Alive, and now losing here. I don't think he was necessarily encroaching on becoming uh, too much, too fast, too soon, but I do think there was a, an overwhelming nature to SB Kento of just like, God, like, Either you have to give this guy the dream gate or he has to lose some and they've chosen the losing route. And I like it. I, I like where he's at. And I, I would expect him to have a big featured match at Kobe world at the end of July. And I hope that he does because right now there's something very interesting about his next few months. And, and assuming the conflict with Ata continues, I think SB Kento is going to continue being one of the very most interesting wrestlers in the world. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be very fascinating to see because that's really, like, we talked about unit shift stuff and, like, Naruki Doi, obviously, is kind of, like, the big bellwether, but, I mean, there's still the heel side of things, and that does seem like that that would be a very likely path with Kento and Eita coming to blows there. Match three, it was an unaffiliated tag team match. Ryo Saito and Kenichiro Rai versus Gamma and Funky Jackie Kamei. Kamei got the pen in 8 minutes and 53 seconds of the jackknife cradle on Ryo Saito. And uh, since I was mean last week, I, I have to be fair here. Terrible match from Funky Jackie Kamei today. Uh, this was his his worst performance yet. And it's a real bummer because it was the character's Cork and Hall debut. But I also, like this match on paper was very odd to me. And I, I understand that there were bigger fish to fry with natural vibes on this show and their other two matches 
but you throw him in there with Gama, which, okay, fine. You know, tag team partners don't need to be, you know, the young bucks. They don't need to have perfect chemistry. But in there with Saito and Arakan, who, for as much as I enjoy, especially the latter there, and Kenichiro Arai, their bodies don't necessarily bend the way that Funky Jackie Kamei needs them to. And what we saw was, uh, you know, pretty much an extended finishing sequence where Kamei and Saito were really struggling to execute the basics, the bare minimum. And it was really an unfortunate, just sort of, just, just a bummer on this card because we've expected, you know, in his year and a half long career, some level of consistency for Kamei. And I don't think this is a giant deal. He doesn't have a history of doing this, but to have this character debut in Cork and Hall and kind of a cold match again, an unaffiliated tag. And then for his performance, specifically him, for it to be as weak as it was, was a bit of a bummer. Yeah, and it's something that, given the parts that were here, that this had a pathway to, I don't even know when to say successful, but it had a pathway that it could be, you know, another strong Kamei performance. I mean, we looked at, like, uh, how Kamei last year had a whole bunch of strong performances with uh, Don Fuji in Hokkaido. And, you know, this is his second match since uh, returning from injury and his first Hellbys match in over a month. And it just is something that, you know, like the thing while I that kind of came into my brain while watching this is like, oh, Kamei's the guy who has the Torbellino now. And I'm like watching this stuff and I'm watching this match. I'm like, I don't know about him having the Torbellino given the, 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 the misses here. And to be completely fair, as you said, like he does not miss very often. Still figuring out this character. First match in over a month, at least televised and made it. it it's it's a bad match that makes sense why it was a bad match, but still disappointing nonetheless. Mind you, do you watch the English feed or the Japanese feed for this show? Oh, you know, I was spending time with our close personal friends, Jay and Ho-Ho Loon. And, and, and Ho-Ho Loon, you know, just the belt historian here, Case. I, I, I love this so much. On, on a very enjoyable Cork and Hall show, one of my favorite moments undoubtedly is Jay going... Well, I think Kanichiro Rai has a heat-up championship belt with him and Ho-Ho Loon without missing a beat. Oh, yes, of course, that's the heat-up belt. Like, <laughs> I, just, I just love that he knew that for whatever reason. I, I would like to think, and I wrote this in my review, that when Ho-Ho Loon is not pondering life's biggest questions, he is scouring the internet for occupation of the indies files uh, because, man, this, this dude knew a heat-up belt when he saw it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Jay was like, oh, that that looks like a WCW tag team belt. But no, Ho was like, no, that's a heat up like heavyweight championship belt. It just was a very amusing thing. And it, one of the more brilliant thinkers of our time, Ho Ho Loon, you know, just able to pull that out of there because it just was kind of wild. And that was kind of like my big, that, that was like my, my big positive moment of this match. And I did like the idea that someone with the nickname Jackie went for a jackknife cradle. Like that did kind of pop me, but it just was the way the match broke down towards that and basically having Gamma come in to straighten things out and then just having like another, like just like, oh, now it's Jackknife Cradle is just very underwhelming. So if you look at Kanichiro Rai's championship history, he is the heat up universal champion. He has been that champion for 18 days. He has been the Oscar project champion for six years now. He is coming up on basically encroaching on Bruno territory with the Oscar Project title. Now, has he defended the belt since December of 2015? No, he has not. But we're going to count it for Kenichiro Arai. 
The other title that he has, and I believe this was the the non-heat-up championship that he brought to the ring, because he did bring two belts to the ring, is the PWL World Championship, which he won in the same match that he won the heat-up Universal title in. He beat Tamora for this, for the PWL World title, which is Pro Wrestling Live, which is a promotion that is based in England. Are you familiar with Pro Wrestling Live, Mike? Oh, no, not at all. Not at all whatsoever. I'm looking at like their other championships they have. Boy, sounds like someone did a, England, a tour of England, won a belt, and just never came back. This is, uh, this is bizarre. This feels like a fake promotion because I think it's all like UK people that never broke out into Progress or RevPro. And so I don't know who they are, basically. <laughs> uh, yeah. This promotion is fascinating. If anybody has any information on PWL and why Kenichiro Rai holds one of their title belts, uh, please tweet at us at Open Voicegate and let us know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I did find their Twitter feed case. And Tamora, they did tweet, tweet him as world champion uh, last month or in April. So this isn't like a dead promotion. Uh, they also posted a YouTube link to a match that is th- that from March that is a match from 2015. Johnny Gargano versus Mad Dog Max. Th- th- this had to be like one of those promotions that before the the uh, UK and Euro boom kind of would pull together with everyone to bring like stars over, you know? Yeah, maybe Mad Dog Mad Dog Max. He has to be either the booker or just their kind of top guy because he has matches in PWL dating back to 2009, and he worked there as recently as the summer of 2020 as the CTW Heavyweight Champion, a, a belt I know you think of very fondly, Mike. Uh, so Kenichiro Rai, international traveler, world-renowned wrestler, and I hope MLW brings him over when they get access to the Dragon Gate talent. I mean, he he's already a triple crown champion. He just needs to beat Hammerstone. And, you know, the, that that seems like the perfect fourth belt that he needs to be coming out to the ring. Like each time he shows up, he should be bringing out another insane belt. I, uh, unironically, would love to see Arkin versus Hammerstone. I would just like to see what that match looks like. Yeah, it's, it's just one of those things that I think would be, would be incredibly fascinating. Like, yeah, no, Jacob Fatu is the world champion. Give me Hammerstone. Like, like, like let's get wild with this here. I think that'd be tremendous. I know, you know, we've obviously wanted, you know, guys from Natural Vibes and Masquerade and and SB Kento over to MLW. Maybe put Arkin on that plane as well. Maybe we see what Kenichiro Rai gets up to in the in the gritty streets of Chicago. I I mean, this is a guy that I feel like, you know, he would just walk out there. He would be wearing his jumpsuit. You know, he's not going to be like showing up in his short pants. He's going to show up in his jumpsuit. He will be chain smoking outside, putting out the cigarette, and then immediately, you know, having a match with. Uh, is Koto Brazil still a member of of MLW? Like oh. I'm just imagining the, the like the possibilities of Kenichiro Rai in this company now. You're certainly asking the wrong guy uh, in terms of who is and isn't on the MLW roster at this current moment in time. But look, I say this as somebody that is is straight edge and, and, and keeps the faith. If I'm in Chicago, Kenichiro Rai is there. Kenichiro Rai offers me a cigarette. I am I am taking that, my friend, and I am smoking with Kenichiro Rai. Sometimes you have, to, you have to burn one with Erican if he's around. You know, I mean, it's understandable. You, uh, you know, I, look, quick, quick off topic, uh, a tidbit, but I wanted to bring this up because I, I, I know he listens to the podcast and I'm assuming he'll hear this. But Mike Spears, did you see 
Sue Williams at AEW's Double or Nothing. I was trying to keep an eye out, but you know, with AEW stuff, I'm usually like nose deep in my notebook, and then also in the EE Discord. You know, I, I I'm I'm spinning a lot of plates when AEW is on, so I did not notice. Was was Suit prominent during these shows? I, I did not see him in the crowd, but I saw a picture that he posted of himself on Twitter. And let me tell you, Suit Williams, Double or Nothing, that man was looking like Mr. Steal Your Girl. And I've heard Suit Williams is going to be in Chicago for All Out, and I am going to spend my weekend with Suit Williams. That man is delightful. That man has an infectious smile. And I've heard time after time that he is the best person to watch wrestling with. And I look forward to making that happen in Chicago. So uh, WrestleMania New Orleans weekend in 20... Now I have to think back in it's time. 2018, God. I think. 2018. I was going to say 2017, but 2018. It was really a scream with Lanza and Suit standing up in the back and like Suit was just like all into like this like Alan Forel and Suit Williams are like the two people you want to sit next to at a wrestling show like those two people and then you had Lanza sitting next there just like did just like staring and Suit is incredibly animated it's something that I it's a fond memory I have of Kenner Louisiana He's the man, one of my one of my favorite people in this cesspool of a hobby. Uh, one of my favorite people over at VoicesWrestling.com. Sue Williams, a good man. A good man, let me tell you. Speaking of good men, we had a R.E.D. versus Masquerade Trios match up next. It was the Masquerade team of Shun Skywalker, Jason Lee, and Dragon Daya versus the R.E.D. team of Kaido Ishida, B.B. Hulk, and Daya Inferno. And Daya Inferno got disqualified with repeated box attacks in, on Dragon Diet in 10 minutes and 6 seconds. So that feeds back. We'll, we're back to where we were before the shoulder dislocation. Yeah, and, and I guess we kind of buried the lead because I think these are two two topics that tie into each other. After the Yamato versus Coach Minora match, Kai came out and challenged Yamato to one final match, a no-ropes lumberjack match, which is set for the July Cork and Hall show. I tweeted out uh, on the Open the Voice Gate Twitter account, this is the first no-ropes match since March of 2014, that match between Yamato and T-Hawk, on a show that was headlined by Ricochet and Uha Nation for the Open the Dreamgate title. That is how long it's been since we've had a no-ropes match. And I, I, I think that ties in to... Dragon Daya versus Diane Ferno, because this feud is back. Uh, it was a very clear setup here. We kind of knew the direction this was going to go even before the match happened, just by seeing this on paper. You know, the clear focus here was to get Daya and Diane Ferno back in the ring with one another. It certainly seems like they're building to something, and I just don't know how long this can continue as it is. That I I don't know if the blow off is going to be mask versus mask. I certainly read some tweets this morning by by fans in Japan that were suggesting that they need to do the mask versus mask match. I'm assuming that's how it ends. But Mike, do you think that's something they can get away with with basically a, a well, let's say it's a two month build from here to Kobe World? Would you feel like that's rushed, or are you cool with ripping the bandaid off and doing that match as soon as possible? I mean, the situation. Also is that Dragon Daya is Triangle Gate champion. So they're going to have a Triangle Gate match at Kobe World. So there's a lot of moving parts to have this happen. I think that sooner rather than later, they'll have this Apuestas match. If I were to kind of uh, mark a date in mind, I think Dangerous Gate, to be honest. I I think over the two months, just because with with Daya and Masquerade as Triangle Gate champions, they're not going to, unless they have good things to do with Jason and Australia. 
that they're not going to go without having a title match when you have two Kobe World shows back to back. No, and I would assume that the trial gate direction this year is a masquerade team, an RED team, a natural vibes team. And I think you can squeeze a high end team out of that too. So it it seems like it's going to be a big hodgepodge of a triangle gate match. And I think you throw Inferno on the RED team. You obviously have dragon dia there representing one third of the triangle gate champions. So it's, it's pretty balanced there. I think you can get away with it with doing it at dangerous gate. As for this match itself, one, I really think part of just the awkwardness of the first few months of Dragon Gate this year, not having Dragon Dia on those cards just hurts the overall match quality because Dia showed up here healthy, looking good, and I was immediately reminded that this dude is so good. And not only that, but he once again reminded me that the chemistry between he and Dia Inferno I think it's terrific. I like what they're doing. I like the direction. Would I have liked this match to have a finish? Absolutely. I think Jason Lee could have ate the pin here and no one would have been worse off for it. They went with the DQ instead, a bit of a deflating finish, but I understand the long term and why they did this here. Yeah. And I thought that the uh, work here was pretty strong up until the DQ. I thought that Ishida and Hulk, they did like this Hulk lifted up diet and like this, uh, they, they they called it a half grab, but he really grabbed one arm and grabbed one one leg and spun him around like almost like a pseudo airplane spin. And then Ashita just rocked him in the face with a kick, and that really rocked. And it's just was something. It's nice seeing the full complement or seeing Daya back in proceedings because like as much as we really enjoyed a uh, masquerade versus Red, not having Daya around, as you said, like he's now such a linchpin at this point that of the roster that like it's very clear how much he was missing. You know, and in a match that they've been doing basically for the last seven months, having him back here provided some fresh air and proceed. Yeah, I look at Dragon Daya as a marquee character on this roster now. He's certainly not the most over guy, but I do think he's an integral part of this current crop of Dragon Gate talent. And I think his absence was noticed. It was certainly felt by me and it hurt my enjoyment of some of these cards. And now that he's back and I hope he stays healthy and I hope he stays safe because he's obviously had, you know, physical health issues in terms of uh i I don't know if you would i I don't know if he's oh no he broke his collarbone he's also you know dealt with pretty serious bouts of influenza i know he was taken off shows for precautionary reasons due to COVID at one point so he's been battling a lot of different things i hope he can stay healthy i hope we can see more of skywalker jason lee and dragon dia as a trio i thought they had really really nice chemistry here because really the great thing about masquerade right now is it feels like all of those parts are interchangeable and whether it's you know menorah lee and dia or skywalker estrella and lee whatever combination it is that they seem to put together they feel like a cohesive unit and i think that's something that as we talk about when we get to natural vibes and high end you know Will high-end or masquerade or even to some extent R.E.D., will they be remembered as these legendary units? I think it's it's too early to say. But what I like right now is that within the four units on the roster, they all feel like real units. They feel like real teams that go into battle, and it's a much more refreshing view of the landscape compared to what we were dealing with, with Tri-Vanguard or Overgeneration once that experiment failed or even, you know, obviously Antios. I really like the unit landscape right now. I like the way uh, these units are laid out. I like the cohesive nature that all of these guys have within their respective units, and Masquerade is a shining example of that. In the hobby, 
it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club Slab Pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you, you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying oh, hey look at some random cards or whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Absolutely. And we had a pull part afterwards. So this is obviously going to be something that they keep under the warmer at the very least here. And then we had the Speedstar Final Countdown in Tokyo. I, I guess Masato Yoshino is not going to be on the July 9th Corkin. But the teams on this match, this was a 10-man tag. It was Masato Yoshino, Ultimo Dragon, Naruki Doi, Masaki Mochizuki, and Don Fuji versus the R.E.D. 5-sum of Eita, Kai, Kazuma Sakamoto, Diamante, and Hio. Doi got the win with the Bakatari sliding kick in 14 minutes and 50 seconds. And, Case, before we get into this, I had noticed something on Twitter today that what they're doing as a March rollout for Speedstar Final, and I don't know if you saw this, they have... Speeds our final t-shirts and nine different colorways for each and every unit that Masato Yoshino has been a part of. Which one would you be getting colorway wide? I got to log on to the Gaiora store real quick and take a look at this. First of all, Dragon Gate stays winning in the merch game. Uh, nobody's able to milk cash out of their fans quite like them. Uh, where where did you see these shirts? What, what, what Twitter account can I look at? 
It's the uh, Dragon Gate official Twitter okay. account. All right, let me let me take a quick look there. Uh, I, and to your point, I, I believe that Yoshino, I think this was his second to last match in Tokyo. I think they're doing two matches in Tokyo, assuming that everything goes according to plan. Uh, I believe, at, at least according to Jay and Hoho Luna on commentary, that he'll be there next month um, in, in good spirits and wrestling uh, there as well. Wow, I really like these shirts. Uh, this is this is nice. I, I like the World 1 quite a bit, that gray, gold, and black. And look, I, you know, it, it comes across in my voice. I'm a black t-shirt guy. And that Maximum shirt, that's real simple. That's a real good look right there. Yeah, I mean, I think that I really like the Junction 3 one just because, like, they don't like that shade of green that's kind of Masato Yoshino green in a way and that kind of appeals to me Toriumon I have a Toriumon generation towel up in my office so I think I'd avoid that one I do have a lot of Monster Express stuff so you know World 1 uh, Junction 3 maybe World 1 International the World 1 International with the hot pink looks good yeah 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 very rarely that I have to say the Italian connection probably is the worst t-shirt out of the bunch because the red and the red and green just kind of contrast each other very weirdly I would say I am wearing a shirt that looks very similar to this Blood Generation shirt, a, a kind of dark red with black text on it right now. And then I'm assuming the one next to that is Muscle Outlaws, but yeah, I don't feel like that's a very good representation of the Muscle Outlaws colors. I don't think they used a yellow that bright. Am I mistaken? I think it was like a shade darker. It wasn't because this yellow is highlighter yellow. Yeah, that I. It took me a second to figure out what that was. It's by process of elimination I got it, but I don't think I would realize that that's a Muscle Outlaw shirt unless I was looking at it on this this order sheet where there's eight other t-shirts by its side. <laughs> oh, and, and you have to know that they're probably going to be selling a box with all nine of them. Oh, God, and, and they absolutely should. There's some there's some good merch today. KZ's got a new shirt that I thought looked good. I really like the new Yamato Spirit shirt. And, of course, Coach Minora, uh, a, a new shirt as well that looks pretty cool. Looks like one that I might wear. SBK, also, this man killing the merch game right now. That SBK shirt looks good. That's simple SBK across the chest and yellow on a red t-shirt. That's a good look. Yeah, just a lot of good fits going on in Dragon Gate, and I just fully imagine, because they were selling a $250 equivalent price box that was like the Speedstar like, final box that had like a t-shirt, a towel, a program, a CD, and one like golden ticket to do like a 15 minute zoom call of yoshino like they know how to get the money very easily grab your glove mike that's a good opportunity for you i mean how does one uh, like i i i feel like trying to like have have a glove and ball and go have a catch with yoshino and try to go like that way i mean that's just asking for me to like break my camera and we don't need yoshino to pull his back like this close to his retirement I know they did a final countdown in Sapporo t-shirt as well. I wonder if they're doing that for every one of the towns that he visits. That certainly seems like something that the Drangate merch office would cook up of, you know, your final countdown in Kobe, final countdown in Osaka, final countdown in Sapporo, final countdown in Tokyo. But I have not seen a final countdown in Tokyo shirt, so I'm not sure if they're doing that or not. What I will say about this match, this final countdown in Tokyo match, which again, my understanding is this is his second uh, his second to final match in Tokyo that he will be wrestling on the July Cork and Hall show. If we hear otherwise, we'll tweet about it at Open Boysgate. This was my favorite Yoshino match this year. And it's a, it's a pretty simple reason why, which is the fact that this match felt like it existed 
in Dragon Gate canon, whereas his prior matches before this, the 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 homecoming match that he had in Higashi Osaka, the Dead or Alive match, the match in Fukuoka with Natural Vibes, and the match in Sapporo with High End, those all felt like they were off in their own little universe and like they really had no ramifications on the larger Dragon Gate scene. This was based around Yoshino wrestling Hyo and Hyo trying to get them both counted out, and I thought it was awesome. Yeah, yeah, it was something that, I mean, finding character in Hyo just really opens up things, and it makes the things here, because they had, like, this incredible, this incredible double countout tease that was really tremendous, that, like, uh, Yoshino got back in, like, like Hyo dragged him backstage, Yoshino sprinted in at 17, and then I guess Hyo, like, picked up that he was gone, and he was not gonna get counted out himself, he got in at 19, and then immediately ate a Torbellino and a Bakatari sliding kick. Like, perfect finish in this. And, you know, everyone else here well, looked really strong. I mean, we, we got a lot of, like, Don Fuji just being, like, a real master worker in this, which, you know, very much amused me. Diamante flying around like he has no care in the world. And it, it did, there was, like, a moment where, like, Ada came down and they felt like that he maybe, like, twisted his ankle and he rolled immediately to the outside to get cold spray. So, that might be something to kind of watch. Like he was able to complete the, the rest of the match, but it was something that's kind of noticeable there. But I'm in complete agreement with you. This was Yoshino's best match of the series, best match of the of his year, and it was something that was nice to see. Like like shades of like maybe on August first, he decides to just completely just lose his mind and be like, "All right, I'm going to really hurt tomorrow, but today I'm going to have one last amazing match." And you know, I kind of I I, I don't know about you kids, but I kind of like cast that thought way back in my brain or just like so like this is not going to happen this is who he is now and this is for the fans like just kind of treat him as like doing this kind of exhibition tour but now you, you know case masato yoshino once again making you think that oh things are over and now i'm uh, now like maybe i'm getting my hopes up here about august 1st but it was really really nice to see and i was th- i went three and three quarters this was almost a notebook match no, I think that's an entirely fair assessment. It's something that watching him at his homecoming show, watching him at Dead or Alive, I I thought that would be it for him. But he put forth a level of effort here that was very calming in a way. And I think for one final night, he can certainly deliver the goods. Now, I, I think there's an interesting, I, I'll call it a predicament that they're in with Yoshino, where again, like we talked about prior to this, his matches had really only existed in a vacuum, kind of away from the landscape of the rest of Drangate. And I kind of want to get your, your thoughts on that because obviously when he announced his retirement at the end of 2019, he was positioned to be in this long feud with Ata. Then COVID ruined that. And then Ata won King of Gate and he won the Dreamgate, and he, they got away from it. And then they never really had a chance to return to it this year because Yoshino got hurt on the very last show of 2020. We've seen this idea that Yoshino is going to gift his signature moves to the younger talents on the roster. I know he gave Kamei the Torbellino. Do you remember off the top of your head the other moves that he's gifted to the other roster members? Yeah, so Kamei got the Torbellino. Uh, the Kamori, which is his version of the Tarantula, he gave to Australia. He gave the Sling Blade to Jason Lee. And over the Sapporo shows, he gave the Missile Senton to UT because he remembered that he was doing this again. Yeah, so there's no interactions between those guys and Yoshino, which I find to be really odd. I I mean, yes, the big picture 
you know, this match where Yoshino was with the legends, he's with Mochi, Fuji, Ultimo, and Doi against R.E.D., of course, that's probably the more satisfying route to go just in terms of getting fans in the building. But imagine if you had Yoshino in the place of Gama, even if you want to throw him still against Arakan and Saito, at least you have that story there with Yoshino and Kamei. And they can, you know, if Yoshino can do a Torbellino, I don't think he's done one this year. They can do stereo Torbellinos or at the he very the least. Same. He did it in the match tonight. Okay, fantastic. So they could have done that there, or at least, you know, Kamei could have done that uh, with Yoshino watching on. It. I'm sure just given his injuries and the fact that he already pushed back his retirement, whatever plans they had obviously did not go according to plan, but it still does feel a little anticlimactic that Masao Yoshino is going to retire in two months. And with the exception of this match, he's kind of just been doing exhibitions. And it's something that then you look at how August 1st is going to go because tickets are almost sold out for the second night of the Kobe World doubleheader. And you look at, like, oh, is it going to be something where, like, they're going to touch back on this, and maybe Ata is in, like, one of the final matches, and, you know, there's, like, three big moves that Yoshino has not requested on people. He still has Lightning Sparrow, the Sol Naciente, and the Sol Naciente Kai as, like, the big ones. I guess another space as well, but another space is a move that's just kind of transitional in a way, so it's really like those moves. Maybe it is something that ends up because almost every single one of these matches have been have involved Ata. Maybe it ends up that Ata gets the Sol Naciente at the end of this, which would make sense given like the Lucha background and that when Ata was going for the Apocalypses and the El Numero Uno's finishing maneuver for him to pick up the Sol Naciente would make sense. And if it's something about the 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 Ata face turn that we've both been kind of been anticipating for the last uh eight months it would be a pretty good moment for him to kind of like turn face and do that yeah not to veer into fantasy booking but if Ata's time in red ends because yoshino gifts him a move at his retirement that is terrific i am really into that idea and, and it's his most important move yeah like it's not uh, like the idea that uh lastrea got the Kamori, which i don't remember the last time he's done that uh that tarantula variant case he's not done it probably since he returned from injury in my memory no, I certainly don't remember the last time he did it. So I, I think that would be very interesting with that. So yeah, no, th this rocked and it was just was what I think we both were kind of hoping for, for this retirement road to have matches like this and maybe gives us a little bit of hope towards the future. But we have other things to talk about in the future case because this match was announced originally as mas as not Masquerade, as Natural Vibes of Susumu, Kinki Horiguchi, and UT and X versus High End, Dragon Kid, Keisuke Akuda, Ben K in an X. And as we talked about earlier, we have the laning spots for Kakatora and Shimizu. Kakatora joined up with High End. He made a comment on commentary saying that, that uh, well, Dragon Kid, no one really likes you on commentary. Yamato, you're kind of, or on mics. Yamato, you're okay. Uh, ben and Okuda don't talk, so what you need is a mic worker. So I decided at the at the start I'd join this and be your mic worker, and everyone just kind of gave him the look of. Uh, Benke looked like he was like yeah, but Okuda looked like he was about to kill him. And then we have to talk about the state of Shimizu case as Big R Shimizu, uh, Ryotsu Shimizu, Bokudomo Dragon, Big R Shimizu is now King Shimizu, and he came out looking kind of slim actually, but dressed up in a 
Mawashi, like he was a sumo wrestler, obviously kind of cribbing off Rikishi. This is a guy who loves the Attitude Era of wrestling so much that he's doing a Rikishi gimmick. And I have to say, I love King Shimizu. Like, this is something that, like, it's clear where he's positioned. And I like him as a power fighter where he is here. But boy, I, I never thought about adding him into Natural Vibes, but perfect fit. And, you know, provides a new element to Natural Vibes. Let me tackle Kagatora first because it's going to be shorter. I think him and high end as the lowest ranking member of that unit is tremendous. He looks in his new gear so much like Noah era Sushi Kikuchi that it is distracting. I need this man to go out there and start throwing headbutts with no regard for human life because that is <laughs> all I could think about in this match was like Xbox Matt 2002 era Noah when Kikuchi put on a bunch of weight and then essentially revenge of the nerds, the young Noah roster, and just got his revenge uh, after getting his ass kicked for all of the 90s. He said, there's actually a generation below me and they need to experience what I went through. So maybe Kagatora gets really mean. I think that would be an interesting direction for him to go. As for King Shimizu, this is such a win. Mike, this was so over in the building. This was so over in the tweets I saw, both from people in Japan and people around the world. This is a home run of a character because it's it's goofy, but it's not. You know, Shimizu winning with a big splash, which I think would be a really interesting new finisher for him. And really, other than... There was one time where he hit the ropes and and did some sort of falling senton onto an opponent where that got a laugh line because of the way that he ran up to his opponent. But for the most part, outside of the dance, I felt like Shimizu was a pretty serious competitor in this match, and I think that registered with the audience. So, yeah, he's going to be taking some falls. Of course, you have UT and you have Kame there, too. But I, I just love this. I think this is such a massive win for Shimizu, for natural vibes, for the overall well-being of Dragon Gate, I am a huge fan of King Shimizu. And it's something that, like, we've always talked about, like, you can't really have a unit with four people. We saw the issues with uh, High End with this, with Masquerade, while Daya was out here. Five, five is the gold number, but six is where you could really do some things. Because now with KZ and the Dream Gate picture that has him do one thing, you now have, like, some combination of... Yokosuka, Horiguchi, UT, and Shimizu doing a trios match, and then someone else, like whoever's not doing that trios match, can be tagging with Kamei and openers. And it just really, you know, pulls the unit together. And the fact that, like, he used to do this, it was more of a falling splash, not like a flying sausage. Like, this one was the, the Otakebi, which was like a big, like, transitional, uh, deep two count move. But I like the idea now that he is using this as a finish. I think that this is something that's really cool. I think it's funny the fact that like on commentary, Jay had to make a note about, well, one of those chains he's going to have to like leave at home because we already went through all that with Yashi, and I think we're trying to get away from that. But I, I was I, wondering what he meant by that because I missed whatever he was referring to. Well, you could you could say what was I? I just missed what was oh, on the uh, chain. It, you can oh, say it was it. it was a pot leaf. It was okay. A pot leaf. I, that that's what I assume, but I, I yeah. didn't see that specifically, and I, I wasn't I wasn't sure exactly what Jay was referring to there. Uh, the, the idea of Big R Shimizu uh, buying a gold chain with a pot leaf on it is hilarious. I really wish they would have filmed that. So just so I could see him handing the money over to the cashier, that sounds <laughs> hilarious. Uh, so, so proud of himself doing this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this uh, this is this was awesome. This just. 
it felt very Dragon Gate, and it's another one of those things that, you know, I don't know if it's going to make any new fans, but it's certainly going to keep the fans that are around very happy and excited at the prospect of Shimizu in natural vibes, which obviously it gives the unit some much needed size because you're looking at a unit where your powerhouse is really Yokosuka and one of your bigger, more muscular guys is KZ. And even in Dragon Gate, that is an alarmingly small unit when you factor in Horiguchi, Kamei, and UT. So Shimizu gives them some size. He gives them some character. He gives them some options in terms of the booking. I think, and this is a lazy comp to make, or maybe not a lazy comp, but an easy comp to make, given that he just rebranded with a new name. But when we look at the big picture, and we look at what Shimizu has to offer to this promotion, given all the gimmick changes, given the fact that he can kind of seamlessly go from comedy to being in a big, serious spot, and he can do it very, very easily... Is Big R Shimizu's career trajectory very similar to uh, Don Fuji's? I mean, I think that that's, that's a worthwhile comp, especially like when you look at like tag team work, like Don Fuji outside of his Dreamgate reign, mostly known as like tag team wrestler, right? Like he will have great singles matches, but a lot of the like Mochi Fuji and then the married team of Shima, those were kind of like his big acts for a while. So I can see that comp. The person that actually that's more directly that, that I kind of see his role kind of like Ginky in a way with like doing the levity and like having the the moments where people are like, oh, no, it's a backslide from heaven. Like that's what kind of reminded me of because of just like the way that he could kind of turn it on like that. Whereas with Don Fuji, I mean, I mean, you, you know how I feel about Don Fuji case. He's one of the 100 top wrestlers of all time. But I just like. Fuji had like such a singles run that we really have not seen from Shimizu. And I guess that's a differentiation there. The the shot put slam certainly does have backslide from heaven energy at this point in, in Shimizu's career, where it's not something that he relies on all the time, but you kind of know it's a big deal when he busts it out. So I think the Horiguchi comp is very fair as well. Yeah. And it, it's something that I, I really love what natural vibes is doing. Oh, like I talked about it before. Like, I think that's so brilliant. And then like, Kakatora just made sense in high end and it's something that there's still going to be some pieces that could be added and Kakatora can move up if like Sora Fujikawa came back and just joined up of high end in a way like I could see that happening and it's just you know I think these were like two smart uh, unit changes that happened on this show. Yeah, I think Natural Vibes is the most cohesive unit in all of wrestling right now. I think they're even a little bit better than Masquerade. There's something about Natural vibes, when they pop up, I, I firmly believe all these guys are friends. I think they like hanging out together, and I think they like fighting together. And whether or not that's true, I don't know, but that is the impression I get whenever they're on my screen. I mean, Susumu's instant me or his social media, his Twitter account, whenever he posts Kamei on there, the response, you add in Shimizu in that mix. Like, we, we might be reaching a golden age in Dragon Gate social media present. <laughs> Very much so. And then we got to the main event. This was for the King of Gate 2021 finals. As y'all know, it was KZ versus Kota Minora. KZ won in 20 minutes and 5 seconds with a spider twist hole to become the 2021 King of Gate. Immediately called his shot. We have the night one main event of Kobe World on July 31st. It will be Shun Skywalker making his next defense of the Open the Dreamgate champion against the guy who defeated him two years previous in the same venue in KZ. Mike, I just wrote a lot of words over at voiceswrestling.com about Casey's career, about how he got there, 
and about this match. So before I say my piece on it, I'd like to hear your thoughts first. Well, it's it's funny how similar like our takes were on this, whereas we try not to when we do like these almost instant reactions, we try to kind of keep ourselves isolated so we don't influence each other because I edited and posted your your piece on this and it was fantastic. It was very similar to, to my thoughts here. Uh, KZ now, like with the exception of T- Takashi Yoshida, and he actually might be tied with him, has is the current, uh, uh, I forgot what I was going to say, uh, the current bridesmaid. That was the phrase I was going to make. And the Dreamgate scene with the most dream keys here and just the way that it's been elevated in the in the way that it's kind of how over the last five years since akira tozawa left and i mean you could even like point to earlier in 2016 like well on the episode speed star when we had the die hearts like disbands match with rich like that was starting to first really see the shades of kz as a presence more so than a fall post and this kind of just in a lot of ways became one of the big like steps of completing that in a, in a way and just like an incredible match like i don't know if this is my match of the tournament but i still went four and a half stars on it it was something where a lot of really tight uh strike and neck work especially the way that kz inventively dismantled kota Minora's neck like like getting him tied up in the ropes so that his head was almost like hangman through the ropes and then doing a drop kick into him shoving his shoulders into the ropes and then doing it to the turnbuckle and just like great chemistry with like these these two guys they just absolutely destroy each other on the apron it seemed like the kz does not want to have a spine anymore which is sick and then just the way that these two guys worked and really like brought in and we had like some really deep two counts on the bevel gear and the impact going into the final stretch and i just thought that this was a success across the board and it's something that we always knew that kz had this match in him over the last few years of him being Mr. February and Mr. Special Singles Match, but like seeing it really as like an intended main event performance just was just incredible across the board. And then as we talked about earlier, like Kodama and Nora looked tremendous in this match as well. Had the, the, the bridge that he got on that one German suplex case was almost like it, it was something that it was such a deep bridge where I almost thought it was like he's very lucky that like he got his feet in there or else it looked like he just like gave himself a back bump on this. Yeah, I think it was after the double German spot where Menora hit a, a basically a snap German into a bridging German suplex, where I think it was after that spot where Alan Forrell tweeted out just how technically sound Kota Menora is. And it, go back, it goes back to what I was saying earlier. This is a guy that we realistically should have been losing our minds from from day one. Now, I was a fan of him when he debuted. I, I've said constantly this past week, I knew he was going to be at least a prized pupil, I will say, because he got, you know, gear and an established character in his second month after debuting in the black tights. And typically it's either one of those where you come in with gear and character, or you come in as a young boy and you do your time there. And he seemed to really expedite that process. So Menorah was so incredibly technically sound here. And I think this was a match that really highlighted, you know, and this is something that we've talked about quite a bit recently, but just the evolving house style of Dragon Gate. This is a match that if it was the finals of King of Gate, you know, 2012, which was KZ's first King of Gate tournament, or even if it was the finals of King of Gate 2017 or 2018, I think we would have been taken aback by just how different this match was. Very submission focused, 
outside of the apron spot in the beginning where Casey went for an impact, Minora countered it, hit the water wheel suplex on the apron. Not really a ton of big head drops or more what I would almost label as like classic Puro moves. This was a match that was rooted in submission. It was rooted in psychology. It was rooted in countering down the stretch. And I, I just thought it was terrific. I love this match. It's my match of the tournament. It's my number two match in Dragon Gate all year, just behind Skywalker and Ishida from Champion Gate in Osaka. Like we said at the top of the show, this was an immensely satisfying conclusion for KZ. I think he came out of this looking like a star and feeling like a guy that is hot going into the biggest match of his life. He is hotter than he's ever been. And he's going to be the biggest opportunity to date. And that is exactly what you want. And a guy like Minora, who very much so had Takahiro Yamamura syndrome on this show and is leaving a much bigger star than how he came in. Can we just take a moment and respect how bold Dragon Gate is for Kobe World 2021? Like, this is something that, like, Earlier, like I was all in on the safe choice of, well, you have to sell out this building twice, so you're going to put the company ace in here. No, no, they're having Shun Skywalker, who has not had a match in Japan outside a state of emergencies since 2019, versus KZ, someone who for two thirds of his career was about as big of a lost post as you can get. Like just phenomenal stuff. Yeah, no, it's it's ridiculous. It's a really young main event. You know, I think Skywalker. Is twenty? Yeah, he just turned twenty-five, and yeah. KZ. Let me do 34. some quick, thirty-four. So I mean, that's He's my age. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's one of those deals. And again, the alternative was a twenty-five-year-old and a twenty-two-year-old in the main event. But KZ at thirty-four ha- has become old in the context of Dragon Gate. But I think any other promotion in the world would kill to have the main event of their biggest show and a credible main event at that be a thirty-four-year-old versus a twenty-five-year-old. That is Dragon Gate setting the bar for young talent at such an incredibly high level where you look at a guy like Casey, who is 34 as he should be entering his physical prime and his mental prime at the same time, doing the best work of his career. His mind has finally caught up with his body. And you tell me he's 34 years old and go, Oh, it's kind of, kind of old. Don't you think like, it's just absurd. The level of talent and the level of level of young talent in this promotion right now. It's really unbelievable. Hey, we're calling him old. He's five days older than I am. Five days. He'll be 35 at Kobe World. Uh, He's not old. He is Dragon Gate old, though. Yeah, 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 no. I mean, geez, imagine, like, it's something that, it's very reflective in a way, if you think about it, because when Toriumon was founded, you you have people like Dragon Kid, like Shima, like Suwa, like like Magnum Tokyo, like Masaki Mochizuki, who were all in their early to mid-20s at that time. And it's kind of like, it's not just that the generational shift is happening, as it's clearly apparent here. It's reflective of where the promotion was 22 years ago. And I, and I find that really fascinating. Well, I was talking about this to to someone uh, pretty recently, someone on Pro Wrestling Only, the uh, very infamous message board that we talked about with Rich Krejci earlier this week on our Speedstar episode, talking about some of the best matches of Masato Yoshino's career, where I, they were asking me a question about Modern Dragon Gate, and specifically in, in the context of something that I used to preach really heavily 
when talking about Dragon Gate was context, context, context. You can't fully appreciate this if you don't have the context. And I think partially just my views on the promotion have changed to where I don't think that is as necessary as it used to be. But I also think part of the reason that I don't preach that as much is that we are really in chapter one of so many of these guys' careers. We're looking at an entirely new fleet, a generation of guys really spanning from KZ all the way down the roster to their newest debut in La Estrella, where they are, you know, barely making a dent in what could be very lengthy, very legendary careers. And it is such a drastic shift from Shima, Mochizuki, Yoshino, Doi, even Yamato to some extent. It's just amazing how quickly this all happened and how quickly the tone of the promotion changed. And I think it changed for the better. Yeah, that there's a certain fluidity with it where we're probably looking in two years that other than Mochizuki, who will wrestle probably up until his dying days, that Yamato will be like one of the old full-timers on the roster just in his early 40s. And then you're going to have all these guys who are in their 20s, some of them in their early 30s. And I mean, there's what, six kids right now doing uh, Dragon Gate future sh- matches right now. Like it's it's never ending in Dragon Gate. And it's one of those things that when you compare the rest of the Japanese wrestling scene and the rest of the worldwide scene, no one has done this like setup and done a generational shift at this point. Like we're still dealing with state of emergencies. We're still dealing with the fact that these are half capacity buildings, but you look at a Corkin 675. I, I don't keep up on other companies attendance as much as I used to, but I can't think of a time that, Someone else has had attendance that high in Cork and Hall this year. And then you look at like across the world where it's like, oh, uh, New Japan, they're going to be in an issue in five years. And you look at like All Japan, All Japan, who knows? And Noah, I mean, gets is a content play right there. But you look at Dragon Gate, it's like, no, we are starting to see returns here. We're probably, we're, we're looking at at least one sellout of Kobe World Canon Hall in July and August. And they're going to try to sell it out with Shun Skywalker versus KZ. And that is remarkable. That is bold. And it's something that hopefully they that all this trust and all this care they've put into the young generation is going to pay off for them very quickly. Uh, for context, June 2nd, 2021, Cork and Hall, New Japan, did 447 fans for a main event of Goto Ishii and Yoshihashi defending the never-open-weight six-man uh, title belts against Bushi, Sonata, and Naito. So Dragon Gate I, is the King of Gate Finals bigger than a never open weight six man? Yes, but that that you know proved to be true as Dragon Gate drew more fans. Okay, uh, Noah, the uh, Mitsuharu Misawa Memorial Show uh, last week had six hundred and fourteen, and I think that's actually a that's more of an apples to apples comp because the Misawa mm-hmm. Memorial Show always draws well. And look at that card where it's junior heavyweight tag team title match, GHC tag team title match, junior heavyweight title match, a national title match, and then a main event of Mudo and Masato Tanaka against Masakatsu Funaki and Naomichi Marafuji, which I might end up watching, even though I try to avoid most things Mudo, but Tanaka and Funaki on opposite sides has me very intrigued by that. I think that's a very fair comp because that Masawa Memorial Show, if they run it in Cork and it typically sells out, but I, I think they've put it even in more recent years in a bigger venue because it always draws so well. 
yeah, the only other show that I'm looking at, I'm looking at Pearl Love for this is Zero One's 20th anniversary show, 652, with Tanaka versus Shima, which was originally going to be a sumo hall match that they had there. And then the rest of them, I mean, it, it, it's very difficult to evaluate. But you look at this. Also, it's worth stating, this is Dragon Gate's first Cork and Hall show since April. They lost their May 1. So it's it's all something that like I look at, and it's pretty fascinating to see how things are going like this. And it'll be something to to see how the two Kobe worlds end up being, because it looks like that could be one of the most successful weekends in the company's history. Do we know what the attendance limitations will be for the the two shows in Kobe World Hall? And I want to make it very clear. I'm gonna I'm gonna continue to reemphasize this. It's one Kobe World and one Speed Star Final Countdown. It's not a New Japan situation. Yeah, it's not a New Japan situation. They're two distinct things. Uh, I believe it's still fifty percent or five thousand. Okay, so. So last year, Kobe World in November was 2386. What is the New Japan show that is? Because they're the only two companies that run Kobe World, Cannon Hall. I'm trying to think what that show was. I'm looking up the results right now to see when the last time they were in Kobe. So I, I, I think that that 3,000 to 4,000 is what I would be expecting. I can't say that with any certainty, though, it, because of how fluid the situation is. And of course, that will be after Olympics. So... Who knows like how that goes, to be quite honest. So, yeah. All right. So, New Japan. I'm just looking this up right now. The last time they were in Kobe, uh, they were there for the G1 Climax Night 5. And it was 25-48 for, for that. And then they were there five days earlier for Destruction. And they got 61-48. So, no, that's 2019. That's 2019. So, last time they were there for G1 Climax, it was 25-48. So, Maybe it is something that 4,000 or 3,000 is what I expect, maybe. Yeah, in 2019, Dragon Gate drew about 5,300 fans. Uh, so I think anywhere in that ballpark would be a massive success because we have had to kind of recalibrate the way we think about world because for so long we were getting the inflated attendance numbers where 9,000. It was it was 10,000 for Hulk versus Yamato in 2014, and you know, there, I, look, there there might have been with all the tickets that were given away for those Kobe Worlds during the Okamura era, there might have been close to that many people there, but there were certainly not ten thousand ticket buyers in that building. Yeah, 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 and it's something that in twenty eighteen they had that massive dip when they were starting to run shoot numbers, and someone in the company told me that they actually made more money at that Kobe World than any other Kobe World before. So it's going to be a big week in there, and there's not going to be a whole lot of stuff case that is going to be making the network because sadly the Okinawa shows have been pulled because of state of emergency. I'm real bummed about that. I would have loved to have seen those, but Garuka mask was bummed about it too. He and Susumi Yokosuka were talking about how excited they were to see each other and how it's not going to happen now. Oh man. I, I like that is that's Dragon Gate network content that I would love, you know, those two guys, you know, the, the, probably having, having a beer, a cup of coffee, you know, after the shows in Okinawa, you know, just like, very content size and exhaustion the two of them like talking about old times and all of that we missed out on that sadly uh, i believe garukin mascot on twitter that he was planning on bringing yokosuka some okinawa fabric for yokosuka to sew more masks and oh wow the fact that 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 can't happen now is very cruel yeah i mean he is the uh seamstress of the of the roster and some of the masks that he have like i've looked at like the natural vibes one with the kz artwork and i've been like you know th that's a pretty tight mask like next time i do an order i'll see if i can pick up some uh susumi Yokosuka masks out there be interesting to see what his okinawa style masks would have 
I, this is not something that we'll be able to talk about within the next few weeks as there's, you know, we'll, we'll have some gaps here. We'll figure out some stuff to do. Expect more Masao Yoshino related content. But I, I did see yesterday, and this is something that if we have the time when it happens, would love to talk about this on the show, assuming the match isn't terrible. But Mike, I don't know if you saw yesterday. I know you keep a close eye on Big Japan Pro Wrestling, but I don't know if you caught this, that on July 4th, Subasa, Billy Kinkid, and Masamune are going to defend the UWA World Trios titles against Hubbo, Ultimate Spider Jr., and Andy Wu. Jesus Christ, the best of Osaka Pro versus the best of Russell One. Yeah, if there was ever, like, that is the state of Big Japan for me, where I, I just, I don't care about 2021 Sekimoto. I haven't been into Okabayashi in a while. The rest of the strong division is terrible. I don't watch dark match, or I'm sorry, I don't watch death matches. So this trios match, best possible match Big Japan could have booked. And it's a UWA World Trios title match, which I think <laughs> technically makes it like Dragon System adjacent. So if that yeah. match is good, we're going to talk about it when it happens. For sure, for sure, yeah, because we're going to have some breaks here. They will be in the friendly confines this Saturday in Kobe Sambo Hall for a show, and then they are not making tape, it seems, until later this month when they return to Kobe Sambo Hall. So only two more televised shows. Like, that's just the world we live in. It's a bummer, but it is what it is. So we definitely probably will have some time to see what Ultimate Spider-J is up to. And, I mean, right now, looking at their schedule, they have two more shows in June. Then they have Tokyo Corken Hall on the 9th, of July, KBS Hall on the 11th, then Kobe Sambo Hall on the 22nd. So they only have five televised shows before Kobe World Pro Wrestling Festival 2021. Hard to believe it's already that time of the year. Yeah, it is already that time of year. Then it's going to be the hot season case. You know what I mean? I'm right now looking at their August calendar, and oh boy, it is going to be a lot of stuff that is just going to be kicking off then. But Case, did you have anything else that you wanted to talk about before we got out of here? Mike, we got through the hellacious month of May. It wasn't as extreme as we thought it would be because of the shows that were canceled at the very beginning of the month. But we had circled May for quite a while as a month with a lot of content, a lot of shows, and a lot of big ramifications. We got through that. We got through King of Gate. KZ versus Shun Skywalker is your Kobe World Pro Wrestling Festival 2021 main event. And I feel very good about that. I do too. I, I, it's so fascinating. Like I could talk about this for a while, but that's going to do it for this week. Uh, if you, if y'all haven't had a chance, go back and listen to the first episode of Speed Star that Rich Crates joined us as we start to just commemorate the amazing career of Masato Yoshino. We had three matches on there that are accessible, so you can watch along with us as well. Case, okay, so I know that you have something big popping up that you guessed it on in the future. Oh, yes. I, I joined WH Park on the Post Wrestling Network. We did a biography, an audio biography of Kenta Kobashi's All Japan career, and that will be up this weekend. So if you're looking on your calendar, that is in the, the June 4th, 5th, 6th range. It'll be up sometime around there. I don't know the exact date that it's going up, but when WH contacted me, I, I, I was almost under the assumption of like, oh, we'll just talk about kind of our favorite moments in Kobashi's career, it'll be a nice little podcast. No, no, no. We started at this man's birth, and we went through uh, until the Noah exodus, and we talked about every big moment in Kenta Kobashi's career. There's plenty of match recommendations in there. I learned some stuff about Kenta Kobashi and who some of his 
athletic inspirations were. There's a specific athlete that really inspired him to become a wrestler that I did not know about. That was fascinating to me. Uh, it's it's tremendous. WH Park does such a great job with all of his content over on the Post Wrestling Network, and I was thrilled to guest on that podcast and talk about Kenta Kobashi. Uh, both Mike and I have been on one of his prior shows previously. I, I'm assuming those podcasts are still available. Before he was talking about All Japan in-depth, he was talking about Jushin Thunder Liger in-depth on the Thunderstruck series. Mike talked about Shima versus Liger from the 2000 Super J-Cup. I talked about Ata versus Liger from the 2016 Super J-Cup. Both of those matches with full in-depth reviews over on the Post Wrestling Podcasting Network. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to catch that when WH and Post release that. It's something that I find just like the inspiration behind wrestlers, I find very fascinating. And Ken Takabashi is one of the ones that I don't know. So I'm looking forward to that. But that's going to do it for this week. We'll be back next week talking about the Kobe Sambo Hall show and probably a lot of other stuff as we're entering a little bit of a lull here. But you can follow the podcast at Open Voice Gate. You can follow me at Fujiheya with two eyes like Don Fuji. You can follow Case at underscore in your case. But for Case, I'm Mike. That's it from the Voice Gate. Take care.